the World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. For Shawn Michaels, it's always been about being champion. Sure, he was branded cocky, flamboyant, a brazen showman in his youth. But the heart of a champion was always there. And when he defeated Bret the Hitman Hart at WrestleMania 12, it was truly the consummation of a boyhood dream. But the true defining moment of Shawn Michaels' brilliant career may have been etched in defeat. Last November in Madison Square Garden, the dream was shattered at the hands of Psycho Sid. But for Shawn, that was of secondary concern. That night, the boy toy grew up, displaying compassion and humanity. He cared less for the title than for the welfare of his fallen mentor. Tonight, it's not about ego or accolades. There's more than just the championship at stake. Tonight, it's about justice, redemption, a rebirth of sorts. For tonight, San Antonio's favorite son returns home older, wiser, innocence lost. Tonight, the favorite son returns home a man. And now, the 1997 Royal Rumble. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And here we are in February, Patrick. So what do you have from the news desk this week, sir? Uh, unfortunately, we lost a great legend in uh, Hacksaw Butchery. And uh, Butch Reed was a powerhouse of a man and one half of the tag team of Doom later in his career. But I, I thought his run in WWF at the time was too short and not given the amount of respect that it was deserved. Uh, however, in NWA beforehand in the buildup, he was he was a very fast rising star that was noticed rather quickly yeah he was a college football star then he went on to play with the kansas city chiefs but was cut before he started there and then he went on to wrestling in 1978 and adopted the name hacksaw and uh, went on to win the nwa uh, north american tag team championship with sweet sugar brown they beat dory funk jr and david von eric moved on to mid-south uh did most of his career in the South, uh, they did leave Mid-South, him and Junkyard Dog, that WWF year, uh, run you're talking about. Uh, they left without informing Bill Watts of their decision, so that meant big problems for them as far as uh, trying to get rehired uh, in uh, JCP or WCW in the future. Yeah, I had that brief run there in WWF, came back to Jim Crockett Promotions after WrestleMania four. Yeah, had the, had the tag team of Doom with Ron Simmons and was really just a, a showcase for Ron Simmons. I hate to say that about, I mean, but uh, Butch Reed and, and that tag team was more or less just propping up uh, Ron Simmons. And Ron Simmons would, of course, go on to be the heavyweight champion of the world. After WCW, uh, he left pretty early on. I mean, he didn't he was not around for like Monday Nitro and that kind of stuff. Left around 1992, did some time in USWA, did some time in Global, uh, then just did some indie work here and there. 
did his last match in 2013 with uh, Cowboy Bob Orton and lost to Flash Flanagan and Ron Powers in Illinois. So there you have it. Uh, he had a couple of heart attacks this uh, January. He was he was diagnosed with COVID-19. They don't know if the heart attacks were related to that or not, but he died at the age of 66 years old. Real name, Bruce Franklin Reed, born in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, was certainly one of the few um, African-American talents that got a push that was featured on regular TV, and it's kind of sad timing that he passes away in, during Black History Month uh, when like the uh, WWE Network is celebrating a lot of African-American superstars and uh, to lose Butch Reed during that time. So I can't say that I, I know a lot about Butch Reed. Uh, even you reminding me of that WWF run, like that was so brief that I really forgot that it happened. He was there for two years from 86 to 88. And yeah, so I mainly remember him from, from Doom and those pay-per-views that we've watched together because I didn't watch any early 90s WCW until we started doing this show. So uh, the only memories I have of him are, is just uh, being being the uh, the strongman to uh, Ron Simmons and being a, a good comparison is Stevie Ray to Booker T, where one of them is a standout and the other one is just sort of the muscle. And uh, he was sort of the muscle in Doom. So, But he had a very long career. I mean, you're talking about a guy that worked from 78 to 92 regularly so that's that's a 14 year career right there of regular work so that's pretty impressive uh after wrestling he of course will not be in the wwe hall of fame because he was part of the brain injury lawsuit so the wwe will bury his legacy you will never get a you know some sort of documentary about him uh yeah, I don't know what he had been up to the last few years. I don't know if he had been making appearances at, at cons or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, only 66 years old. Pretty crazy. Uh, pretty young, actually, uh, when you think about it. He got into the business in 78, so he would have been... He got in at 24. Yeah, so uh, a terrible loss. Uh, a very talented guy on the football field and in the ring. Uh not necessarily a standout guy, a top guy, but like I said, uh, one of the few African-Americans to get featured in, a, in any kind of prominent role. And Bill Watts, despite uh, his comments about, uh, you know, what restaurant owners, you know, could discriminate against their uh, customers, uh, Bill Watts did have a fondness for African-American wrestlers and did promote them. So he was one of the few that that actually got featured. So that has to be acknowledged. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a sad loss and it's sad that, I mean, if he was part of that lawsuit with CTE, then it, the last few years of his life were probably not too fun. And, uh, there's just gotta be a better way in the future to take care of these guys, uh, when they get older. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, something's gotta, gotta kind of give a little bit here and there because, uh, there's just so many people that are men and women that are suffering from from years of, of head trauma and things like that. And listen, I uh, I I am 100% the believer that 
you were getting into a physical sport. You knew what you were getting into. You knew what you were signing up for. And that's that. But at the same time, I still do believe as well that there needs to be some kind of a lasting uh, place to go for situations, uh, I guess, for people that are suffering from different things. I mean, a lot of these guys nowadays, uh, whether it be dementia kind of starting to set in, whether it be uh, hospital bills starting to set in, whether it be, you know, surgeries needed, you know, these guys have, have put their bodies on the line for years to entertain. And now the cauliflower alley club has stepped up and started having it to where wrestlers can apply for a, a insurance based check for medical bills, which is really good. And I enjoy seeing that being the first step. And B Brian Blair has, you know, as, as president of the cauliflower alley club has really stepped into that role and pushed for that to happen. And it is just a step. There's much more that needs to, to come. And I think this goes to show you once again, another, you know, he was in his sixties, but, Think about this. He was only in his 60s. I have grandparents in their 80s. You know, there, there are people that are living into their 70s and their 80s. And he, there's just there's people that are dying, wrestlers that are, are so young that don't that aren't getting the help they need. I think this is just once again a wake up call for that. And uh, I enjoyed watching Butch Reed. Uh, his short run, and I mean very short run in WWF, was uh, was something that I was not aware of because, like I said, we were, you know, I've repeated it over and over again. We were Southern-based wrestling household. But I did know him from uh, his runs in the NWA and then when he came back and did some stuff in WCW. And I just thought he was a powerhouse of a man. And... I love to sit back and, and watch, you know, the, the powerhouse, you know, guys, the big, the big guys, you know, you're, you have said it time and time again, you kind of enjoy the high flyers. You kind of enjoy that uh, thing. But for me, the, the big guys, you know, Andre Butch Reed, the jacked up can do unbelievable strength or just massive individuals have always been, what I stood, you know, stood out to me as a kid and, uh, and as a very young kid, he was one that stood out. And so, uh, definitely a loss. I never, I have never met the man or spoken to him. Uh, I'm assuming you haven't, correct? No, no, I was, I was unaware if he was doing, uh, cons or anything, if there was even an opportunity to see him. I see some, uh, kayfabe commentary interviews with butch reed that were posted on youtube two years ago so he was he was doing some shoot interviews i guess but there's really not a lot when i look on youtube about butch reed well there's one from a year ago on the hannibal tv so yeah i guess he was doing i don't know if he was going out but he was uh 
he was doing interviews. Actually, you might want to watch this one about. <laughs> but it just says Butch Reed on Ric Flair. And I can tell oh, it's that... like a, a Skype interview, and so I sort of want to watch that now. So You might have to splice it in here if you find just a, a little excerpt that's quite entertaining. If there's any uh, young wrestlers watching this at all, do you have any advice for them? Yeah. Just, just keep your mind on your business. Don't think that you, you're going to go in there and just set the world on fire. It'll come to you. Keep your training up. Keep your flexibility up. You know, the things you don't, things you never thought you could do, try it anyway. Learn how to wrestle. In other words, instead of all these old high flyers out there now, get in a hole. Learn how to work in and out of holes. Be the best you can be. And listen to the old timers. A, a unique outlook that is coming forward in the near future on Axis TV is going to be before the impact. Now, it is going to start at 7 o'clock and go from 7 to 8. Then Impact Wrestling will come on from 8 to 10. In the process of that being the case, this is a talk show based out of uh, out of Nashville, from what I can tell. I could be wrong, but from what I could tell, it's a uh, talk show based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and it is going to be talking about wrestling. Now, from what I have heard, and from what I have read, and from the things that have been said, even from Don Callis and a couple of the others, it is not going to be WWE's version of a wrestling talk show like they had a couple of years ago. No, this is going to be an actual, legit talk show about professional wrestling. And with them having access to uh, New Japan and AEW and obviously Impact, and the indie scene, that they will have an open, on-air, live discussion about wrestling. It's not going to be just WWE cut and dry. It is going to be a legit, open-ended conversation about wrestling. And I think that this might has you know be something that was put forth in a conversation with uh, Tony Khan and Don Callis, um, I'm assuming, because Tony Khan has got, he's gotten to where he kind of likes to get involved in conversations with wrestling and uh, conversations even you know with NWA stuff like that. So, believe it or not, I'm looking forward to it. If it is legit that a a wrestling talk show where it is NWA. New Japan, AEW, Impact. I mean, hell, they may try to chance the lawsuit and talk about WWE. Who knows? But I look forward to it. So this is called uh, Before the Impact. It's going to air at 7 o'clock every Tuesday night as lead-in to Impact on Access TV. You're right. It's based out of Nashville, apparently, because they're using News Channel 5 sports guy, John Burton, and then the backstage reporter for Impact, Gia Miller, 
and the former commentator Josh Matthews, who had gotten demoted from the from the booth, and I guess he saw this as a promotion, but I see this as a demotion. Uh, this is not going to last very long. I'm surprised it's it's shooting out of Nashville. Anthem is based in Canada, so I don't know why. I, I, I guess Impact maybe still has offices here or something in Nashville. I don't understand why they picked Nashville to originate this from, but I guess it really doesn't matter where it originates from, other than they're using the News Channel 5 sports guy. So they're probably getting free studio time out of it. Uh, so... And then they have an, an insider, George Iceman. The Iceman's Intel segment is expected to be a highlight. BTI, they're already trying to shorten the name of it before the impact. Now it's just BTI. Scott Demore, uh, the vice president of Impact, says, Fans have been asking for more Impact action on Axis TV. Really? I'm not sure who. He didn't say that part. But And we're excited to debut a new show and format with BTI. I've got some bad news for Scott Demore to quote bad news Barrett. I've I'm afraid I've got some bad news, and that is that these wrestling talk shows on regular television do not work, and they do not work because they're just not they're not profitable. They're cheap. They're not. No one wants to watch it. It's not canon. It's not. It's the worst it's just there's nothing there has never been one of these tried in the last i don't know 15 years that had that has worked uh the closest i can say that worked was confidential mean gene and that was more like a news magazine show that still lived within the environment of wwe but it was presented like a dateline or a 2020 where you have these well-produced segments and mean gene just tosses to them as far as these talk shows, these pseudo news, trying to be sports center, trying to be uh, a podcast, trying to be so many different things, that's the problem, I think, that you run into with these shows like WWE Backstage, an FS1 show that invested in hiring CM Punk and then, I mean, hiring Paige. They took Paige off WWE television to do that show. They had four people on that show. And that show is stunk. And then they, and then what they do on the network, the bump, they do that for basically nothing. And it's the same thing. It, it's all the same shit. It's all. I would never. You don't go there for actual news. The, the, you just. I don't know what they exist for. I have zero hopes for this. Uh, they're not. There's nothing. There's nothing to it because, as you mentioned, uh, I think there's. Part of it is you, you're trying to promote your own products. So of course, Impact's going to be the main focus of, of this show. If they mention other wrestling stories, it's going to be like a Mean Gene WCW hotline tease where it's like, oh, we hear some brewings about this in this other company. Well, we'll find out about that. I mean, they're not going to give free promotion to other promotions. They're not gonna tell you the dirt sheet report. They're not gonna. They're not gonna do that to the other companies because they want to work with them. So that's that's the problem. I mean, that's the problem. Unless you're gonna go Dave Meltzer style and you're gonna actually do some thorough digging and or, and you know bring up the numbers and talk about different things like that. There's nothing to it. Like you you can put any three random people. 
it's just it, it it's just it's not gonna work and it's a waste of time sorry i just there's no no company sponsored talk show about itself can work that's why you don't see the nfl running like in their pregame shows for the nfl games or for the ncaa for their pregame show they don't get to pick their own people like roger goodell is not sitting on the panel for the nfl pregame show because if he was it would suck you know why because he's on the take so you've got josh matthews and gia miller they're on the take and the news channel five guy he's just there to be he's there he gets some free tv time you can't be impartial you can't do a good job if some if that if the company that you're supposed to be covering as a as a journalist is putting money in your pocket it's not journalism when if they assign me to cover like if my company paid me they said alex you are going to investigate retro wrestling podcast okay cool i'll do that who's going to be paying me retro wrestling podcast will be okay well then you can expect all the stories to be good you can expect the the show to be nothing of significance because I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds if that makes sense and that's the problem that you run into with these shows so I have zero hope for this going forward I I am hoping that we do get something out of it uh, going from that talking about New Japan uh, Kenta from New Japan Pro Wrestling was on AEW and John Moxley from AEW showed up at New Japan just last week. So AEW's been working with NWA. They've been working with Impact, and now it looks like they have a really decently good working relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Is this kind of a takeover? No pun intended. Is it is it not <laughs> WWE not WWE takeover? But is it a wrestling takeover? Are they saying, fuck it, each person is their own person, and I want that person on my TV? I don't care who they work for. I don't care what they you know, work for. If I feel that that person is a valid wrestler or entertainer, with being a manager or announcer, whatever, I want them on my show, even if it's a one-night thing or just a short-term feud. Is it something that's going to last? It's obviously very different. It's obviously very new. It's something that we have been waiting for forever. You know, why do you think you buy WWE games and then create WCW wrestlers or now AEW wrestlers? Because you want to see all these great people that are the not supposed to happen, not going to ever be there, Kenny Omega's in the ring with the likes of Roman Reigns, if I got to throw a name out there. But what you can see is Kenny Omega against the NWA champion or Cody Rhodes against the NWA champion or Kenta going for the AEW title or the impact tag team titles being held and the AEW titles being held 
both by one tag team. Uh, you can now see the floating back and forth of talent. And I, I love it. I think it's definitely something that needs, needs to happen and to continue to happen. Yeah. I, th- I think it's a good idea for companies that have honestly a, a limited number of stars. And even the WWE, I would say has a limited number of stars mainly from their own doing. That's not because of the talent on the roster or whatever. In AEW's case, the company's still kind of young. Uh, It still hasn't built up the mid-card to top-tier status, in my opinion, yet. And then when you get into the New Japan roster, it's just I think the American audience is unfamiliar with a lot of that roster. And then with NWA, obviously you have a very limited roster, impact very limited roster so it's beneficial to uh clusters that have less star power to get stars on their show and if they have to do that through talent exchanges i think that's a good idea now the only cautionary tale is that you don't want to forget about your mid card and the guys on your roster in doing all of this uh the mixing and matching with the other promotions because what you're saying to your guys in the middle, Brian Cage, is he is he AEW? Is that a AEW guy, right? He's yeah. like the FT, FTW champion guy. Yes. Yes. But what you're saying to a guy like Brian Cage is, hey, you're great, but we're gonna bring in Kenta to do something, and so you don't want to, you you know, and that's fine for every once in a while, but you don't want to get, get these guys disillusioned and. You know, feeling like, well, man, I'm I left the WWE because I couldn't go anywhere or I'm trying to come up in this business and I'm running into the same thing I would run into in the Fed is that there's no room at the top. And so as long as you balance, as long as you balance bringing along making other stars while still booking these dream matches it's fine, but just don't leave your roster behind. That's the only cautionary tale. Other than that, it's I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I I agree one hundred percent wholeheartedly. And you've seen the danger in in WWE of not by not using this approach and not working with other people that you become you're on an island, okay? And the WWE is the biggest island, and they have three hundred residents on their island, okay? But then they don't make stars out of their own people and so you have you don't have anything going on over there and so then they bring in part-timers and people bitch ah they're bringing in part-timers or whatever because they don't they don't know what to do with their own talent and so in their case like in their case it's their fault that they don't have stars and in these other companies cases i think there are different mitigating circumstances that as to why they would want star power from other organizations. But WWE has nobody to blame for their lack of star power other than themselves. So no tears will be shed for Vince McMahon and the WWE for not having any any stars. I mean, I was thinking about it today. Like, for WrestleMania, I can't think of an opponent for Drew McIntyre. Because I imagine that Edge will pick Roman Reigns after winning the Rumble. So I, I can't think of anybody 
that I want to see fight Drew McIntyre. And I mean, they used Goldberg at Royal Rumble. So what does that tell you? I mean, that tells you that they don't know either. I mean, that's, it's just really sad where, where they've driven themselves into, you know, scripted promos and guidelines and weird scheduling. And so they've just, they've backed themselves into a corner. So like I said, as long as, as, as long as these organizations, these smaller ones don't forget about bringing up the guys below them, then it's fine. But if it turns into a weekly, who's going to be there this week? Oh my goodness. Did you see this guy on this show? And then you forget about everything else. Then you you might be doing more harm than good, but it hasn't turned into that yet. So as for AEW, also, we are two weeks away from Shaquille O'Neal stepping in to an AEW wrestling ring. What are your thoughts on the legendary basketball legend Shaquille O'Neal? Well, he's dabbled in it before. He was in the Andre Battle Royal uh, a few years ago. I forget which one that was at. I want to a- say that was Dallas 31? No, 32? Think- was he at Dallas? I think so, but there's a difference with being in a in a battle royal versus standing in a ring with Cody Rhodes and having to lock up. Oh, I can grab you and throw you over the top rope. That's no problem. If I'm locking up with you, I'm locking up and somebody's getting, you know, slammed, somebody's getting suplexed, somebody's getting a drop kick, something. You get you catch my drift that's a whole different ball game uh i don't i don't know you know when you when you're i mean giant gonzalez wrestled okay and then Shaq is even <laughs> in even at 48 and as immobile as he is uh he can still move around enough to get the job done and well stuff, he works so. out he works out doing uh some mma training that's what that was before he even got interested in wrestling. Well, he's the creator of Shaq Fu. Of course he does MMA training. He created his own martial arts. He is Shaq Fu. It's good cross-promotion for TNT because if you want the NBA on TNT crowd to check out Dynamite, then him talking it up on the pregame shows on on TNT is a a good idea for cross-promotion, so... I'd rather see Barkley in there than uh, Shaq because Charles Barkley once threw a guy through a plate glass window. So yeah. I'd rather see Charles Barkley in there uh, actually beating someone up uh, because between the two of them, I think Charles Barkley is probably the more violent fellow. <laughs> so uh, he's probably the one that I would uh, like to see rather than than Shaq. Shaq, there's nothing about Shaq, uh, even though he's a giant man. He sort of got the big show problem in that nothing looks scary about this guy. Like he right. he is like the nicest looking guy. He's a gentle giant. Like, so uh, I'd rather have Charles Barkley, who looks legitimately pissed off, even if he's the happiest he's ever been. So uh, I'd rather have that uh, than Shaq. But uh, good for Shaq. They're, they're getting into the celebrity stuff with Snoop Dogg and Shaq and Good for them, I guess. Like I said, 
much like bringing in talent from other places, it's something that you, you just can't go to the well too much on, but a little bit, it's no big deal. Especially right now when you're not, when you can't run, you know, you're not on tour, you're not running live shows, you got to do something, so. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun and enjoyable. Um, well, we're at the very last one, and it is a very sad one. Uh, we want to wish him well. Uh, but Braun Strowman is dealing with having an infection in his bloodstream. So he is going to be out of action for quite a little while. That's a, that's not necessarily staff infection. That's a step up from staff. And so that's a little bit, that could be pretty serious. Uh, if not took care of and treated in the exact way it needs to be handled, uh, it could turn into a lot bigger issues rather quickly. So he will be out for a while. We want to wish him the best of luck and hope that he makes a full recovery. Because um, if you're putting, you know, if you have an infection in your blood, your blood travels through your body, obviously. So that infection is traveling through your brain. It's traveling through your heart. It is traveling through your stomach. It is traveling, you know, you're carrying that through your body. And uh, which could very easily become a lot worse. We want to wish him the best of luck. And uh, yeah, he had just returned. Uh, he was getting the big man push. Uh, he was uh, in line, I would say, to be a contender. Was definitely one of those few uh, absences from the Royal Rumble, where we saw like the return of Christian. We saw a couple other surprises like the hurricane doing the same spot he's done in every Royal rumble ever. Um, but Braun Strowman was definitely one of those people that I didn't realize was missing until, you know, right now when I'm thinking about it, because he was featured on TV not too long ago and, um, was certainly somebody that, uh, was in looking like he was in really good shape and got, uh, got sick at the, this very unfortunate, timing for him because i think that like i said i don't know who they're gonna pair with drew mcintyre i'm not sure he might have been a smackdown guy i'm not sure who's on what brand anymore but he might have been a contender to be paired with drew mcintyre so uh, or or roman reigns for that matter if they decide to go with edge and drew but i, I don't think they are but uh yeah for him to be sidelined it's never a good timing to get sidelined during mania season and uh, that's it's something you can't control, but it, it really sucks. Um, and yeah, I mentioned it. Yeah, Christian returned at the Royal Rumble. I don't see him coming back on a, on a full-time or even a, a heavy part-time schedule. I think this was just sort of a one-off thing. I'm, I was glad to see him because I thought it made sense for the story for Edge. Uh, there was really... And he's a guy that the company, like... They forced him into retirement because of concussions, but they never let him have his goodbye. So I thought it was nice to let him come out there, but I don't, I don't expect to see him around uh, very often, if at all, in the future. Oh, well, I'm hoping we'll get at least one match, uh, one WrestleMania match out of it, 
it would be kind of nice. Yeah, maybe but, during this Edge run, if like that's what Edge wants his last match to be or something, because we all know the history between the two of them. Like maybe that's something I could see him doing, but I just I don't see this guy really interested in wrestling. He's in good shape. He looked fine, but yeah, uh, yeah. I think he's kind of over it. Uh, the company. I did a retro wrestling podcast extra last week covering the last episode of WWE ECW. And when he came back in from TNA, like he was the big star in TNA. He was their number one guy, essentially. And WWE, when they re-signed him, they put him on ECW when it was nobody was watching it. And they pretty much mistreated him. Uh, like the crowd would go crazy for him anytime he was featured in like a Money in the Bank match or a multi-man match or like featured on another brand. And the company just left him on ECW to just flame out. And then it really wasn't until Edge retired that he got that last uh, like world title run that he had some good matches, I think, with like Jericho and stuff like that. And um but they really squandered the last few years of his career, so I kind of uh, hate it for him. Uh, and I, I kind of think that he feels a little screwed over by them. So I don't know, though. I could be wrong. He He's probably going to be wrestling a full schedule by the time this recording comes out, so I'll be completely wrong. Um, another guy I was wrong about, Lars Sullivan. I thought that Lars Sullivan would eventually find his way back to this company and thank uh, god they seemed really really committed to him patrick they i don't give a shit <laughs> i am sorry if you are a professional wrestler and, and listen i i understand people have anxiety issues that it, mental illness is a real thing i am not Please understand, I am not making fun of mental illness, okay? But if you are a professional wrestler and your job is to go out there and perform and put on one hell of a match, you have a nervous breakdown before not even doing a match, just before going out there to beat up somebody to the point that you have to go home for eight months, you need to find another job. Uh, it wasn't just that that he had going against him. It was all that that racist shit in the weightlifting chat room or whatever. That that's so true. like so like half the boys fucking hated him anyway. Then he had that, and then there was uh, the uh, the pornography that he was involved oh, yes. in. I completely thought um, about that. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, and I mean, that's not to be, look, they don't hold that against the women. They can't hold that against the, the male wrestlers. Um, but he just, it was well, yeah, one thing they, after yeah. another. They can't hold it against the male wrestlers, but we've got Seth Rollins out there showing his dick on, on. <laughs> well, that, that's, uh, according to the story, that's a different circumstance because that was an ex-girlfriend that leaked that picture. So that's sort of like his privacy was invaded. I don't know. I, Look, I, I we've had the discussion about taking nude pictures. All you know, we've had this talk like three or four times on this podcast or whatever. But when you do that and you send it into the ether, when you send it to somebody, then it's going to show up eventually. And yes. that's what happened to Seth Rollins. So that's a bit that's a bit different than actually doing what <laughs> Lars Sullivan did, which was you know a paid pornographical film and. 
but you can't. Didn't he bash the LGB community? Yes, yes. He in, then, in those same then, weightlifter, like in that same weightlifting chat room or message board or whatever, like he was bashing um, gay people and, or something. And and then turned out that it was a it was a gay <laughs> porn movie that he was involved in. Am I yeah. wrong in this, or am I being 100% right in facts? I think you're, I mean, we'll just say allegedly, just to be safe. Allegedly, all these okay. things occurred. So, allegedly, he's a fucking hypocrite. Allegedly, <laughs> yeah. he has an issue, and allegedly, he needs to find a new job that has nothing to do with professional wrestling. And I highly, re- respectfully, allegedly say it not be going back to porn. Well, he uh, he voluntarily resigned from the company, uh, so uh, really? it wasn't even. He yeah, wasn't it wasn't. He, no, he was not fired, according to him. Like the company never put out a statement about it, so we'll never know. Um, but according to what I read, is that he told them he was just done with pro wrestling. He just said, "I'm done with it," and that was it. Very strange because he was one of those guys like Braun Strowman that was being pushed like they had come up with a new nickname for him on smackdown like the few episodes of smackdown i watched this year he was featured on them so despite all these bumps in the road and all these other things they saw star power in him or whatever the main problem i had with him and this is the same problem i had with like a vladimir kozlov is i can't get over how ugly this person is that i can't like i i know that I can't like heels are supposed to be like, oh, you dirty heel. Like, but every wrestling heel that I pretty much grew up with, like uh, in the Attitude Era in the late 90s or whatever, like a bad guy could look like Kevin Nash. A bad guy could look like Shawn Michaels. (laughs) A bad guy could look like Bret Hart or Stone Cold Steve Austin. Normal looking dudes or whatever, not like super ugly. They didn't they don't have to look like the Wicked Witch of the West. And so when you run into guys like Kozlov or Lars Sullivan, it looks like they're just there to lose to the top guy. It doesn't it doesn't look like their face is going to be printed on a T-shirt. Before we get into this week's review, which was Royal Rumble 1997 from the WWF, I did want to mention a couple of emails we got at RetroWrestlingPodcast.gmail.com after I went on my lengthy rant about what a crappy year I had in 2020. And, uh about the bad review we got on iTunes. So this is from Richard Craig. Gentlemen, I found your podcast about six months ago. I feel you both do a tremendous job. I try and listen to many other podcasts on the topic and find them unbearable. Shows full of hosts trying to make themselves out to be current and edgy. Your comment about tough times really hit home. Anxiety will eat you alive. Yes, it will. You can ask Lars Sullivan. Uh, He has anxiety, too, because he works in a supermarket, and he has for 40 years, Patrick. You worked in a supermarket once. Could you imagine being there for 40 years? Man, that's (laughs) insane. I did it eight and a half and had to get out. (laughs) Holy hell. God, speed with you, sir. (laughs) You have earned my respect. Wow. He has anxiety because uh, with the pandemic, he's surrounded by hordes of people every day. And uh, I know it's terrible. (laughs) It's awful. And they can't get the vaccine if they want it early, you know, like they still have to wait, (laughs) even though they're in front of everybody every day. Uh, 
Crazy. He mentions, I can't go with my sick dog to the vet, but, you know, I can have a checkout line 10 deep. And so the anxiety is very bad. But all I can say is try and push through it. The only advice I can say is to find a good wrestling podcast to listen to. Try Retro Wrestling Podcast. They are the best. Hang in there. A fan, Rick. And uh, so, Rick, thank you for your email. And uh, as far as my anxiety goes, it's something I have to wrestle with, no pun intended, uh, every single day. It's um, every day that I think it's getting better, it, it, it something happens, it seems like. But uh, I'm getting closer to being free, I think, of my anxiety because a lot of it is work-related from my real jobs, and some of that is going away. And uh, that's a good thing. And I can focus on it's not my problem anymore, basically. Like it's one of those things where I'm disappointed with what what's going on at one of my workplaces, but uh, when when it's out of my hands, when it's someone else's problem, then then it's it, it's kind of also a relieving factor as well because I can sit back and watch him fail and just say I told you so, and um, so that's all I can do about that. And, uh, I mean, as far as anxiety, you know, I wasn't really uh, that upset with the the, rev- the review that was left for us. It's just that if you guys have something to say to us, let us know directly, retrowrestlingpodcast.gmail.com or on our Facebook page or on Twitter. Don't leave an iTunes review. And, and the reason I say that is because I don't read them. I just happen to stumble upon that one, and it happens to be a negative one. Okay, well, if you're going to, if you want to be negative and... Be constructive with your criticism, and which this person was that left the iTunes review, and then so that's fine. But let us know so that we can work on things and that we can make things better instead of hitting us with a bad review that shows up on iTunes until the end of time. And then finally, we got another email. This is from a guy named Nolan. I'm going to say his last name's Cloer. But he says, hello, gentlemen. I just wanted to say I'm a big fan of the podcast. When I was deployed to Afghanistan, I look forward to y'all's podcast every week. Just gave me a little piece of home. I talked to Patrick from time to time. So you apparently know this person. Uh, He says the negative review you got. Yeah. He says the negative review you got is just BS. Well, I mean, like I said, I'm not angry at the review. I was just angry that it was left on iTunes. It really didn't bother me that much. Neither one of y'all claim to be wrestling historians, while Patrick will claim to be a wrestling historian until the day. Uh, I, people make mistakes and get things wrong. Yes, that's I know. That's I never. We never claimed on this podcast since we started that this would be 100% accurate 100% of the time. I mean, it's pro wrestling. It's not like no, I, I can't get everything right all the time. Like I said, if, if we did that, it would we'd get one podcast out a year. It would be 100% accurate. It would have every single little last fact. And he says, people make mistakes, get things wrong. I also wanted to run an idea by y'all. Why don't you sell t-shirts? Well, that's because, like, I love pro wrestling tees, but they charge a hefty fee to get on that site. Uh, also, I'm not really sure that our logo is going to stay the same forever, so... And something down the road we can look at, but I really, I've I've always wanted to keep this podcast for free and not sell anything to anybody, really. This was just for fun. Like, me and Patrick uh, have Retro Wrestling Podcast jackets that I got us for Christmas one year, but outside of that, it's not something that I really want to, you know, merchandise to people or whatever, sell tchotchkes, you know. I was questioned about that in my... Uh, my match that I had recently, I wore it out to the ring, and I was 
questioned about where could I get one. So uh, there's there's a uh, there's a market out there. Yeah. So uh, so have a good night, sincerely, Nolan. So thank you, Nolan, and thank you, Rick, for your emails. And Rick, sorry for 40 years in a grocery store. That sounds odd, dude. Uh, seriously, I am bowing down to you, yeah. Rick. No joke, man. That is no fucking joke. He is by all means in our Hall of Fame. He is the first member of our Retro Wrestling Podcast Hall of Fame. Oh my god. That is that is worse than a lifetime of pro wrestling right there. Seriously. Yeah, but he he might even have insurance, so <laughs> that's a, that's the crazy thing about That's true. That's very true. He's not taking chair shots to the head, but it's still very tough work. Uh, so we go to January of 1997. This is January 19th of 1997. And the WWF was pretty much getting its ass handed to it at this point in time. Uh, the WCW, I was not watching WWF at this time. I was mainly a WCW watcher. I didn't start watching WWF until the next month because that was Final Four in your house in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So that's when I started watching WWF. So this is the last show before I even sampled WWF programming, really. I mean, like, I saw, like, Hogan and Warrior as a kid, but I'd never... I didn't keep up with it or whatever. I didn't watch like I did in in 97, 98, 99. Uh, They were getting their ass kicked. They had a limited talent roster. And uh, much like you were mentioning about AEW... They wanted to work with some other promotions, Patrick, and so they started working with AAA in Mexico uh, because WCW had the other Mexican promotion, um, CMLL. So WCW had a relationship with CMLL, and WWF said, okay, well, we'll go get AAA, and we'll work with them. And then later on in 97, I believe was the same year they got into business with the NWA and had Dan Severn, and maybe that was 98. But So WWF was open to working with other people because their talent roster was very, very limited. And this pay-per-view showed it tonight. Uh, This was at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, in front of 60,477 people. But... That sounds impressive, but they papered the fuck out of this event. They gave out tons of tickets. I would say the majority of the house was either cheap seats or free tickets because nobody gave a shit about the WWF product in January of 1997. And they would not run a stadium show again until WrestleMania X7. So... Uh, this was at the Alamo Dome. They would run a Raw, I think, in the Sky Dome and maybe in the Georgia Dome before X7. Uh, so they did run TV in, in big domes, but this was the last pay-per-view they tried in a big dome for four years. This was an opportunity for them to actually catch up to the WCW because WCW put on a terrible show in January of 97. That would be NWO sold out, Patrick. So... Uh, the- The very next week, WCW put on one of its worst pay-per-views of all time, uh, the NWO sold-out show where they had the Miss NWO contest. They called Eddie Guerrero a Mexican jumping bean. They had Ted DiBiase on commentary with Bischoff, which was just a disaster. 
They had the NWO riding in on garbage trucks. It was a shit show. The, even the set looked like actual shit to me. <laughs> like It was just the worst, one of the worst WCW produced events. And that's coming off the heels of a Starcade that featured Piper and Hogan. And they turn around and do sold out and just totally stink the place up. So um, this was an opportunity for the WWF to get some momentum heading into WrestleMania 13. This is the first of the Big Four. Uh, very eventful Big Four that year for WWF. <laughs> I mean, uh, you have this pay-per-view. Uh, you have the amazing match with Austin and Hart at uh, WrestleMania. Then you have SummerSlam with Hart and Undertaker. And then you have Hart and Shawn Michaels. It was mainly Bret Hart's year, except for this pay-per-view. Of the Big Four, it's strange. Oh, it was- Bret Hart's year until uh, <laughs> later that year. Yeah, uh, the last of the four was uh, probably not a very good night for Mr. Hart, but he was that was the featured he was the featured match on. I mean, he wasn't the main event at WrestleMania, but he had the best match. He was oh. the main event of SummerSlam, and he was the main event of Survivor Series. So. This whole year, outside of this one pay-per-view, was completely dedicated to Bret Hitman Hart. When was the one where Sean had to be the guest referee? Yeah, that was SummerSlam. That's when he hit uh, Undertaker with the chair. With the chair. Right. Okay. Yeah, that was SummerSlam. Okay, so that was SummerSlam of 97. And that got Sean booked in Bad Blood 97 in Hell in a Cell, so... Correct. A lot Correct. of a lot of really cool Attitude Era stuff came out of '97. Some also some bad stuff like the death of Brian Pillman and some other uh, terrible thing. But I mean, you had Montreal Screwjob, Hell in a Cell, Kane and Undertaker taking off. You had uh, Austin and Bret Hart. You had, I mean, the rise of Stone Cold Steve Austin, the rise of The Rock. I mean, this was. 97 would turn out to be an amazing year for WWF, but this was basically the last stop before it actually started. This was like when you hit the very bottom of the the graph and then you start coming back up again. This was rock bottom without being WWF rock bottom. (laughs) So you mentioned Pillman. Where was Pillman in this pay-per-view? You have all these AAA guys, and I was trying to think of other WWF guys that might have been on the roster that would have been around. And uh, that was didn't. right. That was that was late '96 in the build for uh, Survivor Series, with uh, which was main evented um, at Madison Square Garden with Bret and Austin, with the return of of Bret since WrestleMania 12. Yeah, he, he didn't return until WrestleMania 13, and I don't see an explanation as to where he was, why he was off TV. You know, that's one guy that I would love to have shared a ring with, and just especially one guy I would love to have picked his brain and talked to, and just, he was so ahead of his time. He was super smart for uh, a wrestler, for a guy that never had a, held a position as a as a booker or an agent or anything like that. He really was. He was so ahead of his time. He was 100% all in on, on that on that crazy, you know, character of his to the, the point loose that cannon. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that to the point that it had people 
going, okay, maybe this might be a little bit true. I mean, it's... And who, no, I mean, he got his release from WCW because he wanted them to make it seem true. Yeah, what He worked else? the marks. Right. He, he knew ahead of time, like, he knew that the internet was... He knew that, like, hardcore wrestling fans were already on the internet and in chat rooms, like, before the companies realized it, and he wanted to work them over, and... Well, I mean, what other guy can make his debut on ECW, threaten that he's going to pull his dick out and piss all over the ring, and not, I mean, and still show up the very next week? You don't see somebody else going out there and grabbing a microphone on AEW or on WWE or even WWF at the time and saying that they're going to piss in the ring. I mean, he was, he was so far out there on the edge that it was one of the most remarkable things to go back and watch. And, uh, God, I mean, man. like some of the earliest, as far as I can, I mean, I'm sure some, you know, other wrestling person will say, well, actually, uh, but you know, as far as doing worked shoots and stuff like that, I mean, when he called Kevin Sullivan Booker man in that match, in that strap match, and then just walked out, like, that's one of like that's legendary. Like no one had ever done shit like that before. No one had ever just said, This is fake, you're the booker, I quit, I'm walking out, and just walked out. Like that shit's wild. Him and ECW rolling around on the floor wrestling a pencil. I mean, that's insane. Knowing full well that he could easily be erased, making comments you know, more or less making it, you know, puns of the fact of he's he's being held back by the Booker. And, uh, God, dude, it's just so fucking awesome. He is so ahead of his time. And I just, I catch myself looking back going, God, he could have been a great fucking world champion. I mean, he would have been a great world champion. And had he not messed up his ankle in that car wreck, I swear to God, him and Austin would have torn the house down by, by like, year 98. I'm seriously torn the house down because it would have been a a one-upsmanship type deal where Oh, well, he's doing this. Well, I got to do this. Oh, well, he did that. I got to do this now. You know what I'm saying? God. Yeah, or even uh, even if he had to retire from the ring, I thought he could have made a really good commentator because when he came back, uh, I think he started out as a commentator on Shotgun Saturday Night. I think it was like him and Cornette for a little while. And he did a pretty good job at that. Like, he's a Paul Heyman type on commentary. Like he's going to let it fly. Like he's going to enhance it and make it better, but still like stay in character and, and do his job. So even if he never had to wrestle again, which I mean, well, I, and before, before Pil- Brian Pillman jr. Got into wrestling, uh, before he in depth, uh, was training me and him talked a couple, couple times on Facebook back and forth in in conversations and i told him i was like dude your dad was so far ahead of his time 
And I know you hear it from, you know, other, other workers and, and other, you know, guys like that. But from a fan's aspect, I'm telling you, he was fantastic. And he, you know, and, and he said that that's when he told me he was, uh, training with starting to train with Lance storm and all that. And just God, man, I just think back and I'm like, fuck, that was a loss that the world just, the wrestling world needed to, to keep him around him and Owen just for the love of God, him and Owen, I think were some of the best workers of all time and really changed the entire outlook of 98, 99, 2000s. I mean, I know we, we completely went off topic here, but sorry. I, I just was wondering where he, what had happened to him. So. But like I said, like I was wondering where he was because of all the AAA guys that were in the Rumble because I was thinking about this roster and like you had to have both the Godwins in there. It's like, why can't Hillbilly Jim jump in? Or like, you're in Texas, why didn't you like call Kevin Von Eric to do one, uh, like, just do the claw and get thrown out? Like, oh, that I, would I was, be awesome. Yeah, it would have woke, woken the crowd up. I know it's not Dallas, I know it was uh, in San Antonio, but oh. still, like, this crowd, up until Sean's match and up until uh, Brett and Austin in the Rumble. They were dead tonight. They did not <laughs> care for this show at all. And so yeah. anything, like anything to pop this crowd, like, I, I mean, I know that they had, uh, you know, other legends. Like, I mean, they had Dory Funk the year before they talked about, like, just bring them back again. Anybody that's in Texas that's available to work, bring them out. <laughs> that's what I was thinking instead of these AAA guys. Like, it's okay to incorporate a couple of them in there. Like, Mil, Mil Mascaris, okay. Like, the crowd recognized him. Like, but then the other guys, uh, no. Like, those, that, 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 could, you could have put anybody in a mask. You could have put one of the referees in a mask and sent him out there and said, yeah, he's with AAA, and they would have got the same reaction. I mean, I hate to say it, but you have this, this crowd that's mostly in there on free tickets or discounted tickets. Uh, that probably hasn't kept up with the product, and they sh- so they sure as hell don't know AAA. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, this is before you know the internet. This is like if you are into AAA and you're at that Alamo Dome in 1997, you are fucking hardcore into wrestling. Like, that's the uh, like, and that's going to be such a small percentage of that 60,000 people that even if they went nuts, it would still sound like nothing in a giant dome. So. Uh, I, I was just thinking during that, that, that Royal Rumble match, like they even mentioned like, Oh, Bob Backlund, where's he, he at? Like anybody, anybody that was available, call them, give them $30 and get them out there. Like, uh, it was just a disaster, but anyway, that was what I picked. One of the worst rumbles ever. I'll say, uh, this is from January 19th, 1997 tonight. A boy becomes a man as Shawn Michaels grows up after Jose Lothario had been attacked by Sid at Survivor Series. And it cost Shawn his title because instead of worrying about the match, he worried about Jose. Tonight, it's not about ego or accolades. It's a rebirth of sorts. Shawn returns home. A man. 
Starburst Fruit Juice presents the 1997 Royal Rumble from the Alamo Dome. My complaint about Starburst is that they don't make an all-strawberry package. Uh, I think they've really missed the boat. Uh, I, I don't mind variety, but sometimes all I want is strawberry Starburst. And so I need a, a full bag of strawberry flavor. So that's my complaint about Starburst. So, one of those celebrities that have to have the all one color M&Ms and that kind of BS. Yeah, exactly. I, I want all strawberry Starburst. Vince welcomes us in with JR and Jerry Lawler. Goldust is out first with Marlena and his custom slow frame golden entrance with uh, golden dust raining down from the ceiling. You see, Goldust is now a good guy. You know why he's a good guy? Because he has a girlfriend. That's literally the only reason he's presented as a good guy to us. He's going to take on Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H. This gets a promo package, the opening match. Uh, talks about how Hunter is a ladies' man because he went through all these valets. He had a different valet every week. Even though tonight, later on, he'll come out with a man. So this package made no sense. With Hunter Hearst Helmsley, what you see is what you get. He is arrogant, conceited, and self-absorbed. Helmsley believes all women are, by nature, infatuated with him. Since becoming Intercontinental Champion, Triple H's ego has expanded more than his stock portfolio. People think I have a big mouth around here, that I think I'm better than everybody else. Well, I am. Goldust has always been somewhat of an enigma. He is bizarre and outrageous, a master of mind games. He is a former two-time Intercontinental Champion. But until recently, Goldust left the rest up to our imagination. Well, you know, you're... You're a... Oh, aren't you? A what? No. Has jealousy outed a hidden side of gold dust? When Helmsley attempted to add Marlena to his trophy case, Marlena said no. So Helmsley took matters into his own hands. Literally. Hunter Hearst Helmsley picked up Marlena and is taking her away. Look out. Goldust down. Oh, no. Oh. Oh, no. Marlena down. She's hurt. And there's nothing Goldust can do about it. The relationship between Goldust and Marlena has created more questions than answers. Is Helmsley truly infatuated with Marlena, or is he using Marlena to distract Goldust? Or is Goldust putting on his finest performance? Is Goldust's real desire the Intercontinental title? This promo package features Lawler asking Goldust if he was a queer, and he answers no, which was supposed to babyface Goldust for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know why he was a heel for being gay or androgynous. I don't understand but he he was presented as a bad guy for the last two years plus and now all of a sudden he's gonna be a good guy no it doesn't work like that my friends so but it's like a heel versus heel matchup you can't present gold dust as a heel for all this time and then oh he's got a girlfriend you guys must like him now right he's got a hot chick for a girlfriend so he's a good guy now is that is everybody cool with that no it doesn't work like that sorry tried to steal Marlena so that's the feud Hunter's a ladies man and he tried to steal Marlena so is Goldust 
just playing a straight guy or does he secretly want to bang Hunter? See, that's the story going into this match. So they make you think that Goldust is some sort of, I mean, I guess that's how he's presented, some sort of sexual predator and that he only has a girlfriend to get to Hunter because he wants Hunter. Well, it was the same way with Ahmed Johnson and the same way with Razor Ramon. So it was, uh, I mean, this is round three of the same storyline, more or less. Yeah, they, they have to repackage the storyline you know, time after time. And for Goldust, it just sucks because here he is in the IC title picture, and that's where he was from when he came in. Like, he has not advanced in two years. He's still in the exact same place. And so this whole storyline is about Hunter stealing Marlena. So who does he come out with? Mr. Hughes, of course. Yes. The ladies' man comes out with a giant black man who Jim Ross refers to as his butler. Now, I'm sorry, Mr. Hughes in any universe does not look like a butler. Uh, You do not usually have like a nearly seven-foot butler man. Uh, Well, he's a massive man. And for those who have not seen him in person, Alex... I, I did not go signing with him. Alex actually saw him up close and personal. And Alex, how big of a man? Explain to these people how big of a man he truly is. He's massive, and it, like he is, he towers over over me. And uh, you're taller than I am. He towers over you. And then his hands—that's what I couldn't get over. Were the size of his hands, like because. Like, I saw you get a high five from Big Show, and, like, Mr. Hughes has, like, Big show size hands. Like, he has massive fucking mittens. They're um, massive. They are, I mean, he is literally the most unbelievably crazy massive guys that you see on TV, but don't really actually realize the mass that he truly is until you see him in person. No, like, genetically, he's, like, super gifted. Like, that's why he's gotten so much work, because, look, I, I like, he was a nice guy to us at that show we were at or whatever, he, so he's fine. He runs a school in Atlanta. He, he seems like a really, a really nice guy. But as far as his actual wrestling ability, though, Patrick, he is not very good. Uh, but he was able to get a lot of fucking work out of it. So, and it's because when you see him in person, you're like, holy shit, this guy is just he's like a freak of nature as far as like you, you would think that he would be good, you know, because of all this genetic gift that he has, but uh, you know, all they could find for him here in 97. And then later on with Jericho, he'd pop back up as a, as, as a valet. So, but he got a lot of work. It's just, it's wild to me that a guy of that size and stature was always just a valet towards, you know, the late nineties and stuff. It was strange. And um, in the King of Kings DVD, like I think Hunter even mentions like he didn't like this pairing or whatever. I think Jericho mentions he doesn't like this pairing. Well, yeah, because this guy's fucking massive compared to you. (laughs) You don't want to walk out with this guy like you don't need this guy like. This guy like this guy should be paired with a guy like that's like Brian Christopher's size, you know, like that's the kind of dynamic or like. Uh, what they're doing with that guy that's paired with AJ Styles now. It's like you need a massive guy 
to be your muscle or whatever. Oh my god. Who is that guy, by the way? I've forgotten his name. He is right? this dude is huge. First of all, I haven't watched the, the WWE product in quite a while. I tuned in and watched the last half of Royal Rumble pay per view. And when I saw this man come out and his head is over the top rope and he's standing on the floor. This guy's almost eight foot tall. This man is massive. He is El Gigante kind of tall. Okay. This, this guy is fucking massive. I have no idea where the hell they found him. Yeah, so this match starts. Gold Dust tackles Hunter in the aisle way and delivers some right hands. Mr. Hughes, though, he's a terrible valet because he just watches and points when Gold Dust stares him down. Gee, thanks, Mr. Hughes. Why aren't you helping Hunter out here? JR refers to Hughes as a butler, as I mentioned. They get in the ring and Gold Dust delivers some corner punches, but Hunter Atomic drops him to escape. Hunter tries a pedigree, but Gold Dust catapults him out of the ring. Goldust drops the stairs on Hunter while he's down, and Earl Hebner says, ah, that's fine. That's, you can throw the stairs around. No big deal. Hunter trips and falls on the stairs without Goldust helps, <laughs> which got some laughter from the crowd. It was funny because Hunter, like, stumbled around and then just fell flat on the stairs. Uh, did a comedy bump here. Vince gets notified that George and Adam, the two WWF geeks, these were the guys at the Slammies with Undertaker that were, like, pissing their pants for Undertaker. He says they got thrown out. They were on, I guess, the pre-show earlier tonight, so they got thrown out. So if you remember these two fucking I losers, did. yeah. Like they show up every once in a while in old clips. Like like I said, I didn't watch the WWF then, like but I still remember like seeing them occasionally pop up in clips about like the slammies and stuff. Uh, Gold Dust suckers Earl in so he can low blow Hunter, who stumbles out of the ring. Hunter goes to the top turnbuckle, drops an axe handle to Gold, Gold Dust out on the floor. I haven't seen Hunter come off the top rope in so long, I didn't believe that he could do it. Hunter tries his high knee to Gold Dust, but hits the railing, and then Gold Dust decks Hunter's leg with the stairs. Again, no DQ. It's all good. You can attack someone with the stairs all you want. Goldust now works over Hunter's leg despite not having a submission finisher, so this makes no sense. Someone in the crowd held up a really small NWO sign, and I thought I saw an usher kick him out. But he held it up again, so I guess not. It was an usher found someone else in the crowd that he didn't like. Someone then held up a Wade King of Karaoke sign, which I wonder who Wade is and if he is the King of Karaoke. Uh, Goldust slaps on a figure four for several near falls out of Hunter. Gold Dust chop blocks Hunter on the outside, who has some actual gold dust on him from the golden confetti. This match is very bad. Hunter gets his knee dropped on the stairs again. Once again, no DQ. Earl just says, Let's it, let, let it go, guys. JR really gives out about this referee, and Vince has to cover for him. Well, I just think he's uh, letting things go tonight. That's just the way it's going to be. Uh, Dustin unzips some of his uniform. I guess he was getting hot. He misses a running cross, flops out to the mats. Hunter slams Gold Dust into the steps. Again, no DQ. Hunter does his curtsy with a bad knee while Gold Dust recovers. Hunter then takes Marlena's director's chair and wants to bash Gold Dust. Earl finally steps in and says, No, 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 you can't bash someone with a chair. That's too far. How important is this match? Not important at all, because we cut away to a split screen with Todd Pettengill who's with Colin Ray, uh, who's a country singer. Todd gets him to sing a little bit of uh, rock and roll, and he does. 
or I forget what his song was, Colin Ray. You probably know Colin Ray, don't you? You're a country music guy. What's his song? Todd is like interviewing this Colin Ray, this country guy in the crowd. And he's like, hey, can you sing a little bit? Can you sing uh, Little Rock? Go ahead, Little Rock. And uh, he's like, well, it's in Texas. We're in Texas, so it doesn't make much sense. And so he kind of sings like a, he ad-libs like Texas where Little Rock goes. Colin Ray, Little Rock. I listen to you, man. How you doing? It's good to see you, Todd. Famous country singer right here. How you enjoying things? Oh, man, this is wonderful. I'm so glad that uh, the Royal Rumble's in my home state down here in Texas. I don't have to go all the way to the East Coast to see it, you know? Come on, sing a little bit. Sing a little bit. Yeah. Which one? Little Rock. Think I'm on a roll here in San Antonio? (laughs) It's changed the word. We're in San Antonio. Colin Ray, let's get back to ringside. This sucked. Meanwhile, Hunter drops a flare knee, which JR calls out as stupid because... Hunter had a bad knee, so JR was on top of his game in this match. Goldust tries to get a clap going, but no one claps. He yells, come on, and nothing happens, really. The crowd, not aware that this man is Dusty Rhodes' son. He back body drops Hunter and goes to the top rope, but he gets crotched. Hunter wants a superplex, but Goldust knocks him down, misses a hideous top rope elbow drop. Mr. Hughes slides Hunter the belt, the IC belt. Marlena tries to stop him by kissing him. A belt shot misses. Goldust hits the uppercut and then hits him with the belt. But then Hughes saves Hunter from losing by pulling him out of the ring. Goldust jams Marlena's cigar into Mr. Hughes's face to get him away. Then a high knee from Hunter, pedigree, and one, two, three, the all-too-common Hunter wins in a match that fucking sucked. I fucking hated this match. Like, uh, This is one of the worst opening matches we've ever seen. It might be one of the worst matches we've ever seen for this for this podcast. This just sucked. Everything about it was just awful. It went 1650. It was basically two heels, and it was over the icy belt, which neither of these men... Uh, oh, no, both of these men were in the Rumble later, so that's good at least, but this sucked. Mr. Hughes could have been in the Rumble. How about that? What did you think about Hunter and Goldust? they've had better matches uh both of them are capable of having better matches this was not a good one no they they went and stank it up in front of sixty thousand people it's got to be a terrible feeling so from the opening of the show to now including the 1650 of the match this was 25 minutes of this pay-per-view this was vince tells us gold dust still gets to come back for the rumble He doesn't mention Hunter, but Hunter does too. We go to some pre-tapes. Brett says there's no stopping him. Then we go to Mankind, who says he just wants to hurt a lot of people, and it's going to be a nice day. A lot of people that are talking about how I'm going into this Royal Rumble as sort of a marked man, that everybody's going to want to get me. But you know, that's nothing new for me. I've always been a marked man. And in this Royal Rumble, the way I see it, it's no turning back. I can't go back any further. I've already taken too many steps back. So in this Royal Rumble, there's going to be no stopping the excellence of execution. There's going to be one man standing at the end of this thing, and it's going to be me. Most people see the Royal Rumble as a chance to get the shot at the World Wrestling Federation title. I see it as a chance to hurt a lot of people that I don't like, and even some that I do. It's going to be a nice day. 
Up next, we are the nation of domination led out by PG-13 doing their shitty rap over the theme song. Boy, they suck. Uh, they would not last long with the nation of domination. And uh, Farouk is in singles action here to take on Ahmed Johnson, who they had such high hopes for. Farouk called Ahmed and Uncle Tom. Ahmed says, you're going down. They go over Ahmed's big rise in 1996, which came to a screeching halt when Ahmed legit had kidney problems. But so storyline-wise, they had Farouk rupture his kidney with a kick so that Ahmed could have the time off to get better. So he had to vacate the IC belt, so now he's starting from scratch again and going back to a feud that started before the Nation of Domination was even formed. It started when Farouk was still wearing a helmet and walking around with Sonny. So this is where it's going. <laughs> so... When Ahmed Johnson and Farouk finally face each other at the Royal Rumble, it will be the culmination of months of unrest. Ahmed Johnson skyrocketed to superstardom in the WWF in 1996. And the winner is... Ahmed Johnson! This is not my award. This is your award, the people. None of us will be here or we would be nothing without you. But this is your award, not mine. Ahmed's popularity exploded on a worldwide level. He captured the first ever Kuwaiti National Championship. One month later, the new sensation tasted intercontinental gold. On his first try, Ahmed Johnson becomes the man! But Ahmed's storybook beginning nearly came to a tragic end. Ahmed was a target in a turf war. Look at this man, whoever he is, just all over Ahmed Johnson! Farouk's unprovoked attack ruptured Ahmed's kidney. The Pearl River powerhouse fought through pain but nearly lost his life. Emergency surgery saved Ahmed's life and career. Now, the people's champion was on a personal mission. Where you at? I come out. Where you at now? Where the whole I come to your house. We must sell this. Whether it be in the ring or out the ring, it got to be something. You know, you're from the streets. I can't let you walk around, man, doing something like that to me. The next day, Ahmed laid out his nemesis and took Farouk's weapon. Then came the reinforcements. Farouk formed the Nation of Domination. The answer is, the answer is, the answer is, the Nation. Proclaimed himself its leader. If I want something out of this life, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to take it. I am going to take it. I am going to take it. And enlisted an army of mercenaries. I'm going to show you and this whole world that when they say promised land, they say for food. Now, Ahmed is a lone soldier. A lone soldier in a turf war with the ruthless nation. Look what they're doing! Break it on his back! But one question remains. Can the power of one overcome the strength of a rather dubious nation? Uh, Ahmed is out to his really cool theme song. It's one positive thing I can say about Ahmed Johnson. He comes out and just rushes down to the ring and beats down Farouk. Farouk rocking some pleather pants over his singlet. And I was like, that's weird. He doesn't usually wrestle in pants. As soon as I thought that, Ahmed ripped his pants off. So Ahmed chants from the crowd. Farouk gets tossed a pant belt. 
and tries to hit Ahmed, but Ahmed catches him with a lariat, and the ref takes it away, only for Ahmed to snatch it right back and hit Farouk with it so you can whip people. Again, no DQs here. Ahmed takes Farouk out of the ring, and he just gets whipped into the post and the steps. Farouk gets a chair and slams Ahmed into it, kidney first. No DQ. Then Farouk decks him in the back. No DQ. Then the official takes it away. Still no DQ. Farouk just attacks Ahmed's kidney in the ring with kicks and punches. Lawler loves the dirty tactics. Ahmed's wedgie, always noticeable, as Farouk slaps on a camel clutch and this man's speedo goes up his ass. Ahmed wakes up from it, gets Farouk in the electric chair and drops him. Farouk tries something off the buckle, but Ahmed catches him for a power slam. Farouk answers with a spine buster. Ahmed wakes up while Farouk jaws with the crowd and delivers a spine buster of his own. He tosses the nation around as the bell rings for a DQ, even though none of the nation members even touched Ahmed. So this was bullshit. Uh, they let Farouk use a chair earlier, but this is this is too far. He throws one of PG-13 out onto the nation, and then he tracks down Farouk, but a member of the nation stops him. This nation member, who is not D'Lo Brown, who's just some random guy, don't know who he is. I tried to look and see who it was. I don't know. This poor bastard got a Pearl River plunge through the French announce table. And uh, he's lucky to have survived because Ahmed drops his ass, like, scarily near the monitors. Um, yes. And, like, Ahmed was able to at least turn him in midair, but he was going to fall flat on his fucking neck if he didn't. Um, so there you go. Uh, this match sucked also. This was the crowd was into Ahmed Johnson. Uh, they had done a lot to get this guy over, and his first big match back. What do you do, Patrick? A DQ, of course. Uh, yes. This is what. In addition to all the uh, cardio issues that Ahmed had and the weight gain issues that Ahmed had, you can't bring a guy back who's been on the shelf and then just DQ him and make him look like a fucking fool. Um, and he'll look like an even bigger fool later on in the Rumble. So this was this was really bad too. This was so so far. This is one of the worst pay per views we've seen. But what did you think of Ahmed and Farouk? I uh, I thought it was a very good match. I loved the finish with him chasing Farouk and the other guys uh, stepping in. D'Lo got his fucking head taken off before people even realized it was actually D'Lo. I just, I loved it. I thought it was extremely, uh, an extremely good match. Yeah, you must have been on some sort of drugs while watching this. Uh, not very good. Um, it stunk. It stunk. I, well, I liked, like, you know, I liked Ahmed and Farouk, the, the two or three minutes they had of actual match time, but then... They just immediately gave up. I mean, the entire the entire match was 8:48, so like they gave up on this match being a legit match probably like three or four minutes into it. I just think if you're redebuting a guy like Ahmed, a guy who, by the way, people always overlook this, he was gonna have the rock spot in the Nation of Domination. Like history was going to change. Like he had accepted that spot in the Nation and then got hurt, and then they put the Rock in there and. So, like, the rock, the course of Dwayne Johnson's life, <laughs> I mean, maybe he would have, I mean, he's definitely talented to where he could have gotten over otherwise, but the trajectory of his WWF career, 
would have been held back significantly had Ahmed Johnson not gotten injured because that spot was originally Ahmed leading the nation. So, which was strange because much like when the Giant joined the NWO, it's like you feud with them, or when Sting joined the NWO, you feud with them for oh, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> like I'm gonna feud with you two years and then I'm gonna sign up. Sign me up, guys. Yeah, that almost happened. The Rock was almost not The Rock. We get a Terry Funk pre-tape. He was born to rumble, he says. I think he was just born to be crazy. Uh, he was gearing up for his uh, his ECW pay-per-view debut. So this was, a little, <laughs> this was weird that in 97, Terry Funk is in the Royal Rumble and then in the first ever ECW pay-per-view. So... The Nation of Domination is with Todd Pettengill, who has shaved his head and has a goatee. Whoa, I was... It was like he was morphing into Michael Cole. It was like his metamorphosis had begun. Like, Todd Pettengill was slowly turning into Michael Cole, which, when Michael Cole came along in 97 or 98, I thought he was Todd Pettengill. So, this almost confirms my theory. You know, there's faster wrestlers, bigger wrestlers, stronger wrestlers, and younger wrestlers than me in the Rumble, but this is my state. Do you realize that Terry Funk is Texas bred and Texas fed, and I was born to Rumble! (laughs) Well, Terry Funk certainly stirring things up on Shotgun Saturday night. He's in the Royal Rumble, and so is Farouk and Ahmed Johnson, along with Crush, the nation. Obviously, what we saw here just incredible this is not over the first battle in the war between Farouk and Ahmed Johnson the war is coming did you see get up here get, get up you get up here the next time I'm out there don't ever leave me out there like that you stand up there and fight for me no matter what I'm doing you hear that get out of here I'll take care of both of you later and guess what Ahmed Johnson that's just the beginning of this thing and I get you out there in the raw rumble boy I'm gonna put your butt away once and all once and for all you hear me punk you're gonna go down just like I planned for you all right Uncle Tom uh Farouk just rips the mic away and screams and calls Ahmed and Uncle Tom again so wonderful we're Still on the racist shit with two black guys. Wonderful. Happy Black History Month, everybody. Uh, Vader is out next. No Jim Cornette, who the announcers speculate is afraid of The Undertaker because he got attacked by The Undertaker. The lights dim for the dead man, and he makes his epic stroll to the ring. Paul Bear had been spun off for Mankind, so he's on his lonesome. It's Undertaker by himself. JR mentions Undertaker has a bad record at Royal Rumble. And... He does. He has a bad record at Royal Rumble. If you go over the years, uh, he's lost many times at Royal Rumble and lost the Royal Rumble match many times. But when you wrestle for as long as he does, of course, you're going to have a bad record. So if he he had a great WrestleMania record, though, they didn't mention that in 97. Uh, This is teardrop era taker here. So. uh, Vader and Taker just dish out strikes and kicks to start the match. Taker keeps doing the Michael Myers sit-up spot after all of Vader's big strikes and lariats. Taker scoop slams Vader with ease, hits a leg drop for a near fall. Taker takes Vader to to old school, but Vader blocks it by crotching Taker on the ropes. Vader low blows Taker, but the ref misses it. Todd is with a fan now, and she spent all her money babysitting to follow Shawn Michaels around the world. What is wrong with this woman? Uh, where is this woman's parents? Like, she is from Australia as well. Uh, I think she was from Alaska. Alaska. Oh, Alaska. Sorry, not Australia. Alaska. Yes, you're correct. 
<laughs> it seems old. equally as far away. Uh, but a far, yeah, still. Even if I had it, this isn't just about being a daughter. This is about just if if I told my dad, hey, dad, I'm going to follow a wrestler around the world. And I was like 15 years old. Uh, that would be a no immediately. Like that's not that's not happening. And especially if I'm if my daughter comes to me when she's 15 years old and says, dad, I'm just going to follow around Adam Cole everywhere he goes. I I would know you're fucking not. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the end of that discussion. Um, Vader goes to the middle rope and hits a standing splash to take her for a near fall. Magna Claw to Taker, who hulks up with strikes. Belly to back to Vader from Taker. Taker misses an elbow drop. Vader takes control again. Vader tries another maneuver off the second rope, but Taker power slams him instead, which was impressive. Vader tries a power bomb and gets it. I, it's rare to see someone just power bomb Undertaker, but he gets it for a near fall. Taker hits a signature flying clothesline that puts Vader down. He finally connects with old school. Then out comes Paul Bearer, you dirty bastard. Choke slam to Vader from Taker, and he calls for the tombstone. But Taker sees Paul Bearer and dumps Vader out of the ring. Then Taker decks Paul Bearer. Bearer gets dragged into the ring, gets set up for a choke slam, but Vader saves him. Taker then takes Vader out of the ring. Taker uses the steps and leaps for a clothesline on Vader, but Bear moves Vader out of the way, and Taker slams into the railing. Bear then decks Taker with the urn. Taker crawls back into the ring. Unfortunately, he, he crawls back in to get Vader bombed. And one, two, three, holy shit, we've just seen Big Van Vader win a match in WWF over The Undertaker. Wow. Uh, this was match of the night. And it wasn't even close. And that's not even saying it was a great match, but it was heads and tails above the others. It was not even close. Um, this was... Obviously, Patrick, they had different plans for WrestleMania 13 because they wouldn't be pinning the guy going for the title at WrestleMania by Vader, a guy that they had given up on at least a year and a half earlier. So, um, yeah. This was shocking, really, to think about uh, where they went at WrestleMania and where they were here. And to see Taker lose, yeah, it wasn't clean. He got hit with the urn, but I don't see a lot of Taker losses, really, especially to guys that uh, the company, to other monsters. He doesn't lose to other monsters very much. He, lo you know, he lost to Yokozuna, and he lost to Vader. And, yeah, like... Monsters rarely score wins over him. He is the monster, and so he slays monsters. So uh, this was really shocking. Uh, it gave Paul Bear a stable, which was only temporary, because then, of course, he discovered that he had a long-lost son that The Undertaker might have tried to kill a long time ago. But for a minute there, yeah, they were giving Paul Bear a stable of guys to uh, basically just fuck with The Undertaker. Um but a much better match for Vader than Jim Cornette, even though Jim Cornette loves Vader. But it made it made more sense for Paul Bear to be paired with Vader. Like it's just a more natural combination than the loud Southern guy with the tennis racket. Uh, you know, next to Vader doesn't look as good as the Mortician. So, uh, what did you think of this match? Uh, I 
actually loved this match. The fact that Vader was on him and just kept coming, and the fact that Taker just kept coming. I mean, when was the last time you saw The Undertaker powerbombed like that? Or take shots like that. I mean, Vader doesn't hand out light shots. I mean, I guess Brock probably, he probably let Brock lay some in, but he definitely didn't let Brock powerbomb him. No. Uh, uh, He let him German suplex him, which gave him a concussion, which probably wasn't the smartest thing. But outside of Brock, I can't think of any other person that I've seen Taker just let manhandle. Yeah, those fucking forearms were vicious from Vader. That just, God, I <laughs> I love this match. Taker then uh, gets pissed off. He throws a fit and choke slams the ref. He can't believe he lost. Hey, I'm not supposed to lose. I'm the Undertaker. And uh, almost, this is very heelish of Undertaker, yes. but they obviously wouldn't go in that direction <laughs> a month later. Austin pre-tape where he says he'll throw 29 guys out. Well, you can only throw 29 guys out if you're number one, and Austin wasn't number one. Uh, Bulldog says he's going to win the Rumble because he's bizarre. I don't know what that means. See, this is where we got a problem. You TV guys always got the cameras where you don't belong. Well, the problem is I'm not talking to anybody until I throw 29 pieces of trash over the top rope and advance to WrestleMania to face the champ so you can take your camera and stick it, son. That's it. Cut. Cut. Who's going to win the Royal Rumble? Yeah, the British Bulldog. I've got a history in Royal Rumbles, and tonight I'm going to remake history by winning this night's Royal Rumble tonight because I'm bizarre. Well, every show needs a piss break match, and this is the piss break match. A six-man tag with the Luchadors from AAA, and it's not their fault. The fault is that WWE did nothing to promote this match It wasn't like they established these guys. They didn't run a promo package. They didn't do any kind of... They didn't have Mike Tanay there to explain anything. Vince didn't know who they were. The crowd didn't know who they were. No one gave a shit. This match was doomed from the start. Which is some of the biggest names in uh, AAA or in Mexico in general. That's what was so funny about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean... um, some guy like Hector Garza got a deal in WCW, and yeah. uh, I mean Angel Garza works for the company now. So yep. Fuerza Guerrera, Heavy Metal, and Jerry Estrada out. Pero Aguayo Senior, who's his son, was on the pre-show in a dark match. His son, of course, was the guy that died in the match with uh, Rey Mysterio Jr. a few years ago. Uh, Pero cool. Aguayo Jr. Yeah. Uh, and he wrestled on a dark match on this show. At 17 years old, they let a guy wrestle in the dark match. Um, okay. This is his dad here. Yeah, this is... Uh, and he's paired with a guy named Kanek and uh, Hector Garza, who I think is the most familiar to U.S. fans out of these six. Garza and Heavy Metal start the match. Vince has no idea who any of them are, and JR has to spend the rest of the match correcting him. Pero Aguayo comes in against Jerry Estrada, clotheslines and strikes before Aguayo back body drops him out of the ring. Connect comes in to take on Guerrera. Connect lands a cross off the second rope for a near fall. Guerrera misses a rolling senton from the top rope. Connect hits another crossbody. Garza and Heavy Metal come back in, spinning heel kick from Heavy Metal, followed by a back elbow. Garza hits some deep arm drags to Heavy Metal. Tilt-a-whirl backbreaker to Heavy Metal. 
Connect comes in with Estrada, a couple arm drags and a drop kick into an arm bar. Connect gets rolled up for a near fall. Aguayo and Guerrero come in and exchange strikes and lariats. JR mentions Aguayo's son, who I mentioned earlier, wrestled in a dark match tonight at age 17, and yeah, died in that match in Mexico against Rey Mysterio, where he weirdly broke his neck before Rey hit his 619. It was one of the strangest wrestling things I've ever seen. Connect tries a figure four, but tags Hector Garza in. Flying clothesline into an STF from Garza. Then Aguayu takes over on heavy metal before tagging in Connect. Guerrero drop kicks heavy metal out of the ring by mistake. Garza hits a corkscrew senton to Guerrero. Aguayu hits a double stomp off the top that he sort of botches to heavy metal, so he drops an elbow for good, good measure. One, two, three, and gets the win. And then they pipe in crowd noise on this WWE Network dub because this was silence. And they also had to dub over the theme songs for whatever reason. I don't know what theme songs they use for these guys. This match was only 10 minutes and 56 seconds, but it felt like we were here for a couple hours. And uh, the reason, the reason I think is because they were luchadors, but they weren't doing high-flying stuff. The crowd didn't know them, and they were wrestling like big men. Some of them were older, like Pero Aguayo is pretty old and... You know, like he teased like jumping off the side, but then and he did it once, like just from a standing position. But they weren't wrestling like a six man tag you would see on Nitro every single week. So this was doomed to fail. What do you think about this? Not very good. I didn't like that. My first bitch is the fact that you took Spanish rules out of it. Because, God forbid, that not be, you know, that's not okay. Well, actually, towards the end, I think that Heavy Metal didn't make a tag and was the legal man. And they even, they used a AAA referee, but they they were adherent to tags, yes, for 99% of the match. And I think that slowed down the pace because fans were so used to seeing a faster pace uh, when it came to... Uh, Mexican wrestlers and that uh, to me I feel like that slowed down the pace that killed their speed and momentum of what they were trying to do and it just felt like the match drug on and on when had they just been kind of hey go out there and do your thing it would have been a, a much more of a success in my opinion. This stunk, and I, I was like, oh, well, at least we're done with AAA wrestlers. Oh, no, 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 no. Wait till the ro- 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 wait till the Rumble match, and we'll see some more. Vince, JR, and King tease to the title match. They also tease to In Your House from Chattanooga, Tennessee next month. Uh-oh. They didn't, have, they didn't have the title for, you know. They didn't know it was going to be the final four. So that tells me that, well, they had to change plans anyway because of Sean losing his smile between now and then. But they that also tells me that in January, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing for their next pay-per-view. Less than Sean a month lost, later. Sean lost his smile because he came to the UTC arena and said, fuck this, and turned around and walked. I think Sean lost his smile when he when they said, we want you to fight Brett again. <laughs> uh, I think that's what did it, not necessarily the UTC Arena, though I don't think Sean has done a lot of shows at UTC Arena. I, didn't he no-show a show that you went to, or did he team up with Flair at one? Didn't you see up, him there? 
He did. He teamed up with Flair. You're correct. Okay, so you've actually seen him there, so he's not too good for it. It was Triple H that bailed on us that one time. Yeah, Yeah, Triple H bailed on us. No, I'll take it back. Flair bailed on me twice at the UTC Arena. And to make up for it, the third year that they came back, they uh, that's when they had Sean come and team with Flair. And also, we got a Ricky the Dragon Steam match to make up for the fact that Flair fucking no-showed us and then Triple H no-showed us. And yeah. Fink announces the 60,477 in the house for the Rumble. He doesn't say it's a record because it's not... Uh, now it's time for the Rumble match. He gives his annual rules rundown. The Nation of Domination, Drew number one and Crush gets the call. Number two is Ahmed Johnson. He takes Uh-oh. a slow yeah, he takes a slow walk to the ring. Crush and Ahmed just brawl and roll around the ring. Crush tries to eliminate Ahmed and he can barely get him over the second rope. I mean Ahmed was just a massive dude. Number three is fake Razor Ramon. No clock buzzer or theme song for fake razor ramon so rick bogner just stumbles out he gets booed because the crowd knows he's not scott hall and ahmed just immediately dumps him out of the ring for the first elimination so thanks for stopping by rick bogner uh crush skins hall of famer Famer, rick bogner (laughs) that's right they put razor ramon the character in but not scott hall so technically rick bogner is a hall of famer uh crush skins the cat i mean that like if they put put doink in they can put like six people in the hall of fame basically (laughs) uh crush skins the cat to escape elimination ahmed then eliminates himself like an idiot to chase farouk to booze so again this guy let them down earlier and he let them down again tonight because he saw farouk in the aisleway and said you know i could go through the middle rope and chase him because I hate him, but I'll just go over the top. I'll just fucking eliminate myself. So that's what he did. So Ahmed is an idiot once again. And then who do we have? We have Crush all by his lonesome, and he's taking on Phineas Godwin, who comes Uh, out to a terrible banjo dub. No, uh, don't go messing with a country boy on the network. Sorry, they don't want to pay for that. So uh, Phineas Godwin's going to take on Crush. JR and King call out Ahmed for how stupid that was going over the top and eliminating himself. He wouldn't be the only one to do that tonight. That's what's great about this. Stone Cold Steve Austin is out at number five. Phineas actually gets the jump on Austin. How dare you, sir? And actually delivers a hard clothesline. Crush accidentally gets leveled by Austin and gets dumped by Phineas. So Crush is gone. Stunner to Phineas and he's gone. Austin is all alone waiting for number six, Bart Gunn. Uh, the Brawl for All feud that never happened because the winner of the Brawl for All was promised a big feud with Austin. So this was what we could have gotten had they let Bart Gunn uh, fight Austin instead of getting his ass knocked out by Butterbean. Jeez, um, man. Butterbean fucking killed him. God. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rocker dropper to Austin from Bart Gunn. Where's Billy? There's another guy that could have been on this show. Billy's out of action That's he must true. he must have been injured bart holds on to avoid elimination but austin tosses him anyway so now he sits on the turnbuckle and does his famous armband like a watch routine that i think he did in another rumble too so timer finally starts working and jake the snake roberts is out next jake is only 42 in 1997 he doesn't look like it he looks like he's about 62 the crowd wants a ddt 
this this guy the, the DDT was still way over in 1997. The crowd had not forgotten. Kids, he looked 62 because that's what drugs will do for you. So stay <laughs> away from drugs. The ref slide the snake out of the ring, so no snake from Jake tonight. The bag looked empty, so I don't think he actually even had the snake. Short arm clothesline. The crowd is going crazy. He's going for the DDT, and uh, the buzzer finally goes off. Number eight, British Bulldog comes out, and before Jake can hit the DDT, he gets dumped out. Not even on camera, but over the monitor where British Bulldog was walking out. So uh, this big buildup and elimination was missed. Bulldog hits his finish to Austin, the, the running power slam, and that just slows Austin down. Number nine if, is... Uh, hang on. If you have got someone up on your shoulder to be able to hit a running power slam, <laughs> just fucking take them over the top rope and dump them. Uh, not to mention the amount of times that Bulldog has had this countered. Um, like, yeah, definitely. Uh, that's a very good point. Like, <laughs> uh, And... As be- like Bulldog has had the worst luck in these rumbles, so like, yes. don't even Tremendous. fuck around with hitting finishers. Just get no. these guys out of the ring. <laughs> chuck them and go. Just fucking chuck them and go. Number nine is Peroth, the champion of champions from AAA. He takes on Bulldog before Austin takes him down and stomps at him. Who is Peroth? He's a guy in a mask. That's all you need to know. The WWF guys then team up on the AAA guy. Hey, get the fuck out of our company, pal. So even the 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 good guy and the bad guy are teaming up on the AAA guy. Out next is the big quiche, the Sultan at number 10 with Iron Sheik. Sheiky baby. He could have been in this rumble. Nope. There you go. Uh, Sultan tries to dump Peroth while Bulldog nearly dumps Austin, but both escape. Number 11 is the only lucha that the crowd recognizes. It's Mil Mascaras. Uh, 30 years in the yeah, 30 years in the business. The uh, I believe he's the uncle of Alberto Del Rio. He, he is, is uh, he's a Hall of Famer. He is um, just a legend. So the crowd he's actually my knew pick, who he was. my pick to win. He is my pick to win this. I've got some bad news for you then. Uh, Mascaris takes on Sultan. Sultan belly to bellies him, a big belly. Uh, King wants Mascaris unmasked. Number 12 is Hunter Hearst Helmsley. He runs gingerly to the ring, selling his effects from his match earlier in the night. Bulldog eliminates Sultan with a lariat over the rope. So this huge man, Rikishi, all it took was a lariat. So kind of wasted opportunity there. Hunter skins the cat from an Austin elimination attempt and gets an elbow for his trouble. Number 13 is Owen Hart, which this was my favorite entrance of the Royal Rumble because Owen carried his slammy out. This was the only man that cared about his slammy. This was the only guy that gave the slammies any credibility. Um, I just love that he carried it out, that he, like, his character thought this was the greatest thing ever, that he won uh, a fucking... Not even a title belt, but a wrestling award. You know, but he like, didn't win it. That's what's so funny about it. He claimed it for Brett. He he didn't even win the damn thing. <laughs> That's even better. Like uh, That's it's what's just so awesome. Funny about it. Brett wasn't able to be there, so he claimed the damn thing for Brett. And then when he joined the Hart Foundation, he still carried it around. He carried yes. it around with another one. He still he, he loved the Slammy. And that's why, honestly, the Slammys after Owen Pass should have just been retired. Because that's I agree. I agree. Owen's thing. So he came out with his Slammy, uh, which was awesome. Uh, Bulldog saves Owen from Austin, but then Owen sneakily eliminates his own tag team partner. 
Bulldog, who was trying to dump Austin, and Bulldog is fucking pissed. He's like, what the fuck were you doing? What the fuck was that? It was a mistake. He was just trying to throw Austin out, and Bulldog accidentally got in his way. It was an honest mistake. And it's true, because they would patch things up by Final Four. They would be fine against Furnace and LaFawn (laughs) at Final Four. Uh, 14 is Gold Dust. Everyone tries to dump Gold Dust out, but they just give up. 15 is Cybernetico from AAA, who kind of looks like Cyrax from Mortal Kombat, if you know that who that is. Uh, it's he's got a mask with like dreadlocks on it. Mil Mascaris tries to rip Cybernetico's mask off. Hunter dodges elimination. 16 is Wild Man Mark Marrow. Meanwhile, Cybernetico gets dumped by Mil Mascaris as does Dos Peroth, and then Mil Mascaris, he saw Ahmed Johnson earlier, and he said, that looks like fun. So Mil Mascaris climbs to the top turnbuckle and leaps to eliminate himself by diving off the turnbuckle towards the two eliminated luchadors. And this gets booed by the crowd, because don't you know better? Didn't I mean, I know there's, there's a, a language barrier, but didn't someone tell you don't do that? So, Well, hell, he's... He's literally the biggest star in Mexico. He is not going to be made look like a fool and get eliminated. So he's going to do it himself. <laughs> he's going, yeah. It's a Hogan move here. It's a Hulk Hogan move. It's a power trip move. Just saying. Right. Well, I guess you can, yeah, you can always say, well, they didn't explain the rules to me or something. And yeah. I didn't get dumped out by gold dust or something. So, right. uh, Goldust gets revenge on Hunter with a little help from Marrow, and they eliminate Hunter. Insiguri from Owen to Austin. 17 is the Latin Lover from AAA. A uh, big super kick to Owen from Latin Lover. Owen dumps Goldust out of the ring, so he's gone. Number 18 is Farouk. Latin Lover gets back body dropped over the ropes by Farouk for an elimination. Then Austin and Farouk tee off for a second, which was really awesome. And then, of course, that gets ruined by Ahmed Johnson, who runs back to the ring with a big-ass 2x4, and beats Farouk over the top rope with a 2x4. Somehow, when he was getting hit with a 2x4, Farouk said, you know, I gotta go over the top rope to get away from this, and uh, gets eliminated. So Ahmed gets his revenge, which actually got a big pop, despite Ahmed still looking like a complete idiot, but whatever. Austin eliminates Miro and Owen Hart at the same time, off-camera. No replays. Sorry, folks. Just believe us, it happened. Savio Vega is number 19. Savio takes him down with a spinning heel kick. Austin clotheslines Savio out of the ring, and then Austin is all alone again. As Austin lays in the middle of the ring waiting for somebody, he waves towards the ramp like, hey, come, somebody come down here. I'm bored. Uh, but he lies down and just keeps resting. Number 20 is the real Double J, Jesse James, the road dog. The roadie struts. He does some shake, rattle, and roll punches, and then he gets eliminated by Austin almost immediately. The crowd is actually starting to babyface Stone Cold Steve Austin because there has been nobody to root for at all so far. But that's about to change at 21 when Bret Hart's music hits and Austin does a supercell facial reaction here to just his eyes pop out of his skull here to hear Bret Hart's theme song even though he knew Bret Hart was going to be in the Rumble. I don't know what he was surprised about. And the crowd goes nuts for Bret Hart. And they go nuts as they brawl. Atomic drop to Austin, followed by a clothesline. And he takes it to Stone Cold. Sharpshooter to Austin. (laughs) Just right there in the middle of the ring. The timer ticks down. Number 22. Oh, 
fuck, it's Jerry Lawler. He leaves the announce table and gets in the ring, and this endless feud between Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler looks like it's going to continue, but it doesn't, because Hart just uppercuts Jerry right out of the fucking ring, right back to the desk. And he has amnesia and doesn't even remember being in the Rumble. That's some Luke kind of shit right there. Yeah, well, he... I think he made it a point to, like, take an extra step so he wouldn't be in that clip. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty close to being one of the fastest eliminations. Russian leg drop to Austin and Brett elbow from the second rope. Then number 23, Big Daddy Kane. It's fake Diesel. Which, by the way, Kane looks better than uh, Kevin Nash as Diesel, like... Kane is a better-looking Diesel than Diesel. He's a better wrestler than Diesel. Like, I wish the crowd had accepted him as Diesel, because he uh, should no, I'm happy That's... he became Kane, okay? I'm, I'm happy he became Kane. Well, yeah, that was a great storyline, but, like, he just looked awesome here as fake Diesel. Like, he's fucking massive. Like, and he's a much better wrestler. Uh, Brett gets Ram sternum first into the post. Austin drops an elbow. 24 is Terry Funk. As I said, getting some work before his big ECW pay-per-view this year. Dory Funk was in last year's Rumble, so why not Terry this year? Hart saves Terry from elimination by Austin, then Terry turns on Brett. Terry botches a pile driver to Brett Hart. Shame on you, my friend. Rocky Maivia, the rookie, the blue chipper, 25. Rock tries to dump Austin, but Diesel stops him. 26 is Mankind. Mankind goes right after his friend Terry Funk, of course. 27 is Flash Funk, no relation, who dances his way to the ring. No Funk gets with him. Bret Hart pile drives Austin. Flash Funk dives onto Terry Funk and Diesel. 28, it's Vader time. Vader decks Flash Funk with some stiff shots before splashing Austin. Lawler sells amnesia from his elimination. He doesn't remember being in the Rumble. Number 29, what an entry. Henry Godwin, hog, to no reaction, which means number 30 is The Undertaker, and the lights go out. And Vince says, well, there's the winner right there. So, of course, he's not going to win. When the lights went out, Lawler said the whole Rumble should be in the dark. There's an idea for you. <laughs> uh, he goes right after Vader, of course. Choke slam to Vader. Vader fall away slams Flash Funk over the ropes. Holy shit, I can't believe Flash <laughs> Funk agreed to take this from Vader. But he did. He's eliminated. The Rock nearly dumps Bret Hart before Austin breaks it up. He wants that one for himself. Chop battle between Funk and Austin. Taker dumps his BSK friend. Godwin over the top by the throat. Then Austin nearly gets dumped by Taker as well, but he stays in. Mankind catches The Rock with the mandible claw and throws him over. So, sorry. Better luck next time, The Rock. Mankind clotheslines Funk over, but they both hang on only for Mankind to suplex Funk over. Undertaker dumps Mankind while his back was turned to Funk, so he's gone. And those two continue to brawl. So Funk and Mankind are brawling on the north side of the ring. On the south side of the ring, though, Austin gets eliminated by Bret Hart. But there's no referee over there because they were paying attention to Funk and Mankind. So Austin immediately says, well, I'll just get the fuck back in the ring. And he does. And no ref saw it. So Austin immediately dumps Taker and Vader. Then Bret Hart dumps Diesel. And then Austin dumps Hart. And wins the 1997 Royal Rumble. Here is the winner of the 1995 Royal Rumble, so cold, Steve Austin. He eliminated him. I didn't actually see 
Vader and Vader and Bret Hart, but Austin went out. Bret Hart eliminated Stone Cold, and the referees didn't oh, see it. And Bret Hart is not going to stand for it. Maybe his feet didn't hit the floor, Ross. I saw it. I'm sitting right here, King. I didn't see the monitor. I'm and imagine Bret Hart. I was looking at Terry Funk. Imagine what's going on in his mind. Austin was eliminated. We saw it. We called it. The officials were over there with Mankind and Terry Funk and didn't see it. Bret Hart's Bret obsession. Hart Bret Hart's obsession with winning our title is so evident. Bret cannot believe it. Bret Hart eliminated Stone Cold and now the referee saw it. The hitman Bret Hart is... And he's going to the title match at WrestleMania, right? Wrong. Um, yeah, wrong. <laughs> but uh, you would think he was. Hart is livid with the referees, shoves one down, then gives out to Jimmy Corderas. Fucking going ballistic. Some Survivor Series screwjob shit, the way he's acting. Yeah, most of 97, there are very many occasions where Brett loses his fucking mind. And... Uh, and gives Vince shit about it, too. Like So there's many times where this would be just foreshadowing uh, wrestling with shadows, where he actually did have to give Vince some shit, a uh, punch <laughs> to the face in the locker room. But uh, Brett goes over and gives Vince shit about the results here, which I threw him out of the goddamn ring. <laughs> um, I love the accent there, too. That was, that was very... I'm trying to channel my Bret Hart. I'm working on it as, oh, as my next video. Um, but Vince had never acknowledged himself as the owner. So this is the slow but sure, you know, reveal of Vince as the owner. Which, um, you know, by that Raw that we watched after Final Four, it was the last Raw going into WrestleMania 13 where Bret, you know, shoved him down and said, this is some bullshit <laughs> and all that yeah. stuff. And um, that was really the first time that he had been outed as the guy in charge because it was always, you know, a secret basically on TV where uh, nobody, nobody was supposed to know that the main guy was the, the, the owner, even though looking back at it and listening to his announcing, you could tell oh, this guy definitely owns this company because he just goes crazy for fucking everything. Brett says he threw him out of the goddamn ring, and uh, then he stumbles to the back. So uh, we'll see you at Final Four, my friend. Now Vince, JR, and King hype the main event. Sid the champion, Sean the challenger. Video recaps Sid attacking Jose Lothario and then jumping Sean for the belt. Sean gets a title shot in his hometown. Sid even beat up Jose Lothario's son. Bad Attitude. For Psycho Sid, it's second nature. For Shawn Michaels, bad attitude comes from being provoked. I'm going to do what I want, when I want. Because I am the super predator at the World Wrestling Federation. It's going to take more than being a man to beat me. See the game I play. I am the master. At the Survivor Series, Sid's game was to attack Shawn's 62-year-old mentor. 
Shawn Michaels acted on instinct, the honor of friendship over the glory of a title. Sid acted on a killer instinct. The psycho era had begun. I can be the WWE champion again. This is something that cannot ever, ever be replaced. From Psycho Sid, no sympathy, no apology. The following day, the WWF made the official announcement. The 1997 Royal Rumble would be at the Alamo Dome in Shawn Michaels' hometown, San Antonio, Texas. March 31st was a great day for me, but one thing that would be more special than that would be to win the World Wrestling Federation Championship in the town that I live in. The young man who trained in a tin shack just outside San Antonio was returning home to fight in front of 70,000 friends, fans, and family. Sid, you're what I want next. In my hometown, myself and all the people of San Antonio will tear you apart. The day I was born, I was born the man. The verbal and physical assault escalated. I am six foot nine and over 300 pounds. There's going to be 71,000 kids to see me kick your 6'9", 300-pound teeth down your stinking throat. For Sid, nothing was sacred, not even Jose Lothario's 19-year-old son. I want to apologize for what I'm going to do. The monster has been unleashed, but is the monster Shawn Michaels or Psycho Sid? JR spoke with Shawn, who had the flu, in quotation marks. Uh, like Michael Jordan, he's going to have a flu game here. He he tells Sid he doesn't feel well or look well, but he's going to be better than you tonight because he's going to feel like a champion. Jose Lothario walks Sean through the backstage area, the Goldberg entrance here. Sean in a cowboy hat, no shirt, sparkly chaps, and upper half chaps, I guess you could call them. But he's in the red and blue tights, my favorite Shawn Michaels tights, so... Dude, can, thank God, because I love these fucking tights. I can I can let the chaps and everything go. He didn't have the stupid uh, the hat and the earrings on. He had a cowboy hat on, which was kind of weird. For, I mean, he should have just gone without the hat, but uh, his uh, tights, his red and blue tights are my favorite Shawn Michaels tights. It's when, I, when I think of Shawn Michaels, he's wearing those tights. The crowd, of course, goes wild for their hometown boy, Shawn. Shawn, big pyro, big pose. His hair is on frizz level 100 here. He had extra conditioner in. Uh, I've never seen Sean with so much hair. And in 2021, he probably wishes he had it back. Uh, Psycho Sid makes his way through the back. Sid, even though he's a heel, gives fist bumps to the fans, which he always did that. So yeah. it's Who's something the man? strange. Who's the man? Who's the man? <laughs> Who's the man? Don't care. Don't care if I'm bad. Yeah, I'm bad. Fist bump. <laughs> Don't care. Yeah, beat up an old man. Fist bump. <laughs> like, there's something about Sid. I just don't understand it. Uh, we've talked about it many times on here. It's something I don't get. But people love this fucking guy. They just I fucking love, love this Sid. guy. I love Sid. Sid is awesome. Sid is the fan guy that you just are like, oh my god. This dude is so out there you gotta like him he just uh, he's okay like he he was best used in ecw when he would just come in and power bomb somebody like that was his best use like i love sid i even love the uh the foot stomp he was going to do to uh 
Scott Steiner there uh, back in 2001. Oh, yeah, that turned out well for him. Uh, Sid gets a good reaction in Sean's hometown, so it's almost face versus face here. Massive Sid Pyro. They had some Razor Ramon Pyro left over. They reshape it into the word Sid, and there you go. Uh, we get a stare down between the former friends. They have a chat. Sid shoves Sean a couple times. Sean hits a crossbody, slams Sid's head against the mat repeatedly before booting Sid outside, who supercells by laying out on the floor like he just fell a great height. Sid then presses Sean on the outside, but Sean takes and rakes his eyes to escape. Sean tries a crossbody off the top rope. Sid turns it into a power slam for a near fall. Steiner recliner to Sean. Jose Lothario said tonight would be the last time he accompanied Sean to the ring, and he was not lying. He never showed back up after this. Sean eventually escapes the clutches of Sid, but gets whipped to the outside. Sid rams Sean's back into the ring post, foreshadowing Sean's back injury here. Sid knew that this man would have a bad back. Uh, they get right. back into the ring, and Sid whips Sean to the buckles to work his back and then applies a bear hug. Sean escapes briefly but ends up back in his clutches. Sid hits a leg drop for a two count. Uh, Sean fights back, scoop slams Sid to a big pop, hits a flying forearm, the kip up. Then Sean hits a signature elbow drop from the top, tunes up the band, but Sid catches his uh, super kick attempt and tosses Michael out of the ring. Sid wants a power bomb on the ring mats and gets it. Very gently, though, not a Vader bomb here he grabs hold of the lotharios the father and the son but pat patterson comes in and saves the day and shoes him off and sid says okay and lets him go one of the strangest things to happen during this match uh sid takes sean back into the ring sid chucks sean into the ref choke slam but nobody's there to count replacement ref can only get a two sid decks the second ref out of frustration uh he wants jose lothario Sean decks him with a video camera twice, the dirty heel. And then Earl is still out. Earl wakes up, but can only get a two count before Sid kicks out. Because this is Shawn Michaels, motherfucker. And he's going to get his shit in. So Sean says, you know what? Yeah, I hit you with a camera twice, but you still need the sweet chin music, brother. And Man. Sid goes down for the count. And Sean God, is the chin oh when, when you see the replay of this sweet chin music that was all jaw he didn't pull a fucking bit of it and lay well, Sid was awfully close for this like sid was like usually sean does these from great distances you know like he's usually yeah. he starts in a turnbuckle and comes at you when you're in the middle of the ring or whatever sid was yeah. like right in front of him <laughs> this kick was jaw breaking tension at impact. I mean, holy shit. I'm well, surprised it didn't literally knock Sid out. Well, Sean said he was going to kick his teeth in, so he almost lived up to his promise. Uh, what did you think of this main event match? Love this match, and of course, this is my match of the night. Uh, however, Vader and Taker are damn near a very, very close second. This match was okay. I don't think that they got over the Jose Lothario storyline enough, um, considering that was the whole thing. Like, I almost think you should have incorporated it more. Rarely do I ever say, oh, you need to incorporate, you know, bullshit interference more. But, like, when that was the, the whole when, thing 
behind it. When the ref was down, I think Jose should have gone to the top rope and hit a crossbody or something like that. He should have hit a sweet chin music, of course. Okay, well, um, he's not his leg that fucking high. But, I mean, no, he could have even hit, uh, like, a, a headbutt or something, like a flying headbutt, which is some hit one of his old moves. The crowd, his hometown as well, would know for you know know him for Sid going after Jose should have cost him the match rather than Sean using the camera. Uh, I just I think it was weird that they they decided to make Sean a heel basically. I'm sorry, like I mean he used a video camera behind the ref's back to cheat to win. Like I'm not too familiar about that Survivor Series match, but did Sid actually, besides attacking Jose, did he actually cheat? I don't remember now. Did he... Did he cheat? Uh, yeah, I believe so. What What did he do? Did he hit Sean I with think, a video camera or I something? Think he did. I think he did. Sid attacked Jose Lothario with the, with the video, camera. video camera. Yeah, but then he turned and I think he hit Sean. Maybe he didn't. Yeah, Sid hit. Sid hit him with the camera, too. Okay, so yeah. it was an eye for an eye, so it didn't... I guess it didn't turn Sean heel, so I retract my statement. So I still just didn't really care for this match because this was Shawn Michaels technically in his prime. Uh he said he was sick with the flu. Um, we can interpret that how we want to. Uh, <laughs> I just, I expect more from 1996, 1997 Shawn Michaels. So. I, I, I liked it. I enjoyed the pay-per-view. Uh, on our rating scale, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to put it up there. It's a historic Royal Rumble. It is one of the most remembered Royal Rumbles. It is one of the most historical moments in Royal Rumble history. I give it a giant Gonzalez. Oh, that's ridiculous. I'm serious. Um, I'm going to give it a Mil Mascaris um, because it was, it was something. It was, it was there. It was a legendary footnote because it's Austin's first Rumble win, but it's, tainted because he didn't really win it and he didn't get a title match at wrestlemania but it all worked out well for him and the wwf of course after this sean vacated the title on thursday raw thursday where he gave his lost my smile promo and he said he's got a knee problem even though at wrestlemania 13 of course he did a a moonsault and landed on his legs uh perfectly fine and did commentary uh so this led to the final four where Bret Hart won the belt, lost it the next night to Sid, and then somehow Sid and Undertaker end up in the main event of WrestleMania 13. So, uh, But we've already covered final four, we've already covered WrestleMania 13, so we've already covered the first three pay-per-views from the WWF in 1997. But that was my pick for this week, Patrick, so for for next time, whenever that may be, where do you want to go? in the uh, old wrestling emporium. Well, as, as a, as a nod to Shaquille O'Neal, as a nod to uh, Shaq versus Cody, we are going to take a trip down memory lane. We are going to stay back all the way back 
1998. We are going to see a hair versus hair match. We are also going to see a giant challenge for the late, great Kevin Green. We are also going to see Kurt Henning try to break one of the most undefeated, unremarkable, momentous reigns of all time. We are also, in the main event, going to see where the NBA just couldn't hold the two men apart. A fight, a feud that broke out in game six of the NBA Finals over a loose ball. They're going to step foot in the ring. We are going to see Hollywood Hulk Hogan and the worm Dennis Rodman against Diamond Dallas Page and the mailman Carl Malone. We are going to bash at the beach. 1998. All right, that's where we'll go for our next episode. And in the meantime, they can uh, connect with us at retrowrestlingpodcast.com, retrowrestlingpodcast at gmail.com. Where can they find you, Patrick? Um, find me on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on our Facebook page. I will answer any and all questions. I am always available to chat. If I'm not, I will get back to you. Uh, if there's anything you want to know, I don't know. I will find out the answer for you. How do we Until... do this? <laughs> it's been so long. Until next time. I'm in turn, I am... Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bingo.